Uh, Heavenly Father, please help us to see Christ tonight. Uh, please explain uh, your word to us into our hearts by your spirit uh, and into our lives by your spirit. Um, help us to know exactly how you would speak to us and change us tonight and help us to go out with our hearts set on your glory and your kingdom. Amen. Now, I don't know if you noticed in that Bible reading, but tonight's passage is kind of all about sheep. Uh, because Jesus, he longs to save the lost sheep of Israel, so he sends his disciples out to start doing that. But he warns them that he's sending them out like sheep among wolves. But then ultimately Jesus, he says he won't leave his disciples or us to do this work by ourselves because he's the good shepherd who cares for his sheep. So that's where we're heading tonight, the lost sheep, sheep among wolves and the good shepherd. Uh, which means, first up, the lost sheep from, verses, uh, from chapter 9, verse 35 to 10, verse 6. Well, we start out with a sweeping summary of Jesus' ministry. It says, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and every sickness. So teaching, preaching, healing, it's kind of like a montage of everything Jesus has been doing up until this point. But then we go from these busy words teaching, preaching, healing, these very active words to stopping on a close-up of Jesus' face. Jesus just standing and taking in the people before him. We stop and we get a glimpse of Jesus' heart. Where it says, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Now, this is a very special verse for us because it is not often that we get a glimpse into Jesus' own heart. And it's a beautiful picture. Because as I'm sure you're aware that for most people, the more you get to know them, the more you see their heart, the less pretty the picture gets. But for Jesus, when we get a glimpse into his real heart, we see deep love and we see compassion for people just like us, people who are like lost sheep. Now, a few months ago, we were having dinner with Kat and Arne. I'm glad that Arne's here tonight. He was there this morning, so I can use this illustration again. Uh, Kat made us do an online test to check what our spirit animals were. Uh, Kat's was a cat, which seemed fitting. Uh, Arne's was a dog, which seems fitting. Uh, Serena was a camel, which seems less fitting. Um, and I'm not sure why, but I was a penguin. Oh, that's cute. Uh, but according to Jesus, the results are the same for all of us. Because even though sheep, like Mitch said in his story, aren't the most intelligent animals, they're kind of always covered in dirt, according to Jesus, they are all of our spirit animals. But even so, that doesn't make Jesus take a backward step for one second. In fact, it's almost like the more dumb and dirty we are, the more Jesus' heart is filled with compassion for us. Because his heart is for us to be found, that's why Jesus seeks us out to touch to heal, to get involved in our lives. Now, this whole idea of Jesus being a shepherd, it's based on a passage from Ezekiel 34. I won't read the whole chapter, but here are a few key bits. It says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. This is what the Lord God says, See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and total darkness. I will seek the lost 
bring back the strays, bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. So when we read Matthew 9, I think we're meant to have this passage in the back of our minds where God says, the shepherds of Israel, they aren't doing their jobs, they aren't looking after the lost sheep. So God himself says, I will come, I'm going to bring back the strays, bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. It's a beautiful image. And this is exactly what Jesus was doing. Jesus was God seeking out the lost sheep. Because sheep need a shepherd. When sheep get lost, they don't have the capacity within themselves to find their way again. They just sit and wait for wolves to devour them. Which is why Jesus is the ultimate pastor. He doesn't want anyone to be distressed or dejected or lost, but he wants them to find their way back into the fold. And Jesus, he tells his disciples to pray for workers to help with this great need. He says, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into this harvest. But then we get the fastest answer to prayer in history because Jesus turns around and says, oh, by the way, you guys are the answer to this prayer. Again, like any good pastor, Jesus doesn't try to do everything by himself. He sees the need. He trains up people to do the work. And they do the work alongside him. Because if you hear their job description, it might actually seem a little bit familiar. It says, as you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons. So preaching, healing, driving out demons. The mission that Jesus gives his disciples is exactly the same as the stuff he's been doing for the past few months. Now, a couple of weekends ago, we were babysitting... We need a picture. There it is. We're babysitting our niece, Summer. Uh, like many four-year-olds, she doesn't necessarily love going to bed. Uh, so I started making a weak, warm, milky Milo to try to help that process along. Uh, and all I was doing was mixing Milo with warm milk, but Summer came up and said to me, can I help? And I said, uh, Summer, it's okay. It's nothing too hard to do. It's, don't worry. Um, but she got really upset and said, why can't I help? And I think it's like that here. Jesus doesn't need us. He actually could do this work by himself. Even though Jesus' disciples are like sheep and they've been found by their shepherd, just like us, they're still weak and wandering. They're still sheep themselves. And Jesus could have just said, yeah, it's okay, I can do it myself. But he didn't. He graciously allows us to help in this work, even though he could make a better Milo himself. But there are a bunch of very different sheep, including fishermen, a tax collector, and a zealot, three people who never would have hung out ordinarily. But here in, I guess, the first picture of the gathered church, we already see that Jesus gifts his followers to use their gifts, their different gifts, to bless one another and, and build up the church. But their motivation is the same for all of them. Freely you received, freely give. God's abundant, gracious goodness to them is their motivation, just like it is for us. Which has to ask us the question, what are we doing with what God's given us? Freely you received, freely give. If that's the principle, whatever God's blessed us with, it was never truly ours to begin with. So how are you using your knowledge, 
or your money or your experiences or your words to bless the work of God's kingdom. That's one obvious challenge for all of us, but I think the main thing that Jesus wants us to be freely giving is our prayers. The harvest is abundant, the workers are few, therefore, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now at Village, we've been very blessed to have two commissioning services so far this year. We've got another one coming up soon for three families who are traveling overseas to try to reach people with the gospel who haven't heard it before. So be praying for them. Now if you struggle with being consistent in prayer like I do, then put routines or reminders in place to help you with that. But be praying for the harvest, for strength, for fruit, for faith, for people to come to know Christ through the work of our brothers and sisters. But of course we aren't just called to pray for overseas gospel workers. We have so many gospel partners in our church who are reaching people with the gospel around us and overseas And in your community groups this week in the studies, a large part of the studies will just be those gospel partners taking time praying for them, praying for their work for the gospel. That's one way you can be hearing Jesus' words this week. But second up, Sheep Among Wolves from chapter 10, verses 7 to 20, where Jesus warns his disciples of the dangers of where he's sending them. When he's sending them out to the nations? Uh, Wait, no, he's not. He's sending them to the Jewish people. He actually just says, don't take the road to the Gentiles, but instead go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, we might, might be more used to that idea of the gospel going out to the nations, to the whole world, mostly because of this verse from the end of Matthew's gospel. But at this point in Matthew's Gospel, we're not quite there yet. That one is often called the Great Commission, where Jesus calls us to make disciples of all nations, but it's not that the calling here isn't great, uh, but here it's more of a Jewish commission, which is what actually the entire New Testament teaches, that back then the first priority for the Gospel was for the Jewish people. Just one example of that. Uh, The Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.16 that I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. The Jewish people, they were the nation that God had chosen, he'd worked amongst, he'd lived amongst for thousands of years and he wanted them to know that he hadn't given up on them. They were still the priority when Jesus came Because everything that God had been doing amongst them had always been pointing to Christ. So they should have been the ones to first recognize and celebrate the good news of Jesus coming. But Jesus, he knew it wasn't actually ever going to be that easy. So he gives his disciples some pretty clear words about what this mission involves. From verse 9 he says, Don't acquire gold, silver or copper for your money belts. Don't take a traveling bag for the road or an extra shirt, sandals or staff. Now remember, this isn't Jesus talking to us. When we prepare to take the gospel to an unreached people, he isn't telling us that it's more faithful to be unprepared and empty-handed. When we try to speak the gospel into people's lives today, 
It can take years of deep relationship for them to trust us enough to come to church or open the Bible or pray to God. But that isn't what Jesus is talking about here. This is a very specific context, which was kind of more of a drive-by mission to a people who should have embraced this gospel message immediately. Because on paper, at least, they'd been waiting for this Messiah for thousands or hundreds, depends how you cut the cake, of years. But Jesus, he wasn't naive. He knew this mission would mean his disciples facing a lot of hostility. That's why his words are so strong here. He says, if anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave the home or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. The Jewish people, they knew their Old Testaments back to front, so they should have recognized Jesus immediately. They'd been given so much more revelation than the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And like Jesus himself said, to whom much is given, much is expected. So if they have all this knowledge and they still reject Jesus, he says, how much worse it will be for them. Now, at Christmas time last year, we were visiting some friends in the Redlands. Uh, they said, do you want to go to our, our church's carols event? Uh, it's down the road. We went, we were strolling along the markets. It was lovely. And I saw a woman sitting there holding a wombat. Now, I love wombats. So I asked Serena if uh, she could get a photo of me holding the wombat. There it is. Uh, later that day, uh, we were looking back at the photo. One of us realized that the woman holding the wombat was Ranger Stacy, a 90s Australian TV icon, one of our most famous wildlife ambassadors. Uh, but I was so caught up in the wombat that I actually didn't even recognize her. <laughs> now, of course, that's a much less important situation. I'm sure she wasn't as offended. Uh, but still, I didn't recognize the person who was right in front of me, even though I watched her on TV for most of my childhood. But yes, that was of much less consequence for the Jewish people, them not recognizing Jesus when he was standing right in front of them, that was a lot more serious. Just one image of that, Jesus says, if anyone does not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave the house or town. That was a common practice at the time when Jewish people returned from an, a foreign land, they would shake off the unclean foreign dust off their feet but Jesus, he's saying, actually, the tables have turned. If they claim to be my people and they, they don't recognize me, then they're the outsiders. You'll be shaking their dust off your feet. Which, unsurprisingly, was never going to be received well by the Jewish people, especially their leaders. Which is why Jesus, he says to his disciples, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents, and as innocent as doves. So four animals in two sentences where Jesus is saying, I've just found you, I've just saved you, but now I'm going to send you out into danger again. But this time you aren't lost anymore, you aren't blind anymore. You have to be like a genetically modified sheep-serpent-dove hybrid. You can't just be a dumb sheep or else you'll get eaten alive. You need to learn from these two fellow members of your animal kingdom, from the shrewdness of serpents and the innocence of doves. 
And his disciples are going to need every drop of shrewdness and innocence because Jesus warns them, they're going to hand you over to local courts and flog you in their synagogues. You'll be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. In the local courts, they're going to need every ounce of shrewdness to know how to answer and how to speak the truth wisely. But they're also going to need innocence so that nothing can be brought against them or their integrity. And I realize Jesus, he said this in a very specific context and situation to a very specific people, but I think at the same time, it has a lot of truth for us today. When we're trying to love those who don't know Christ, it's only going to be helpful, I think, if we are as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. There we thank you. Uh, but what might this mean for us? What might that look like? I think it means being aware of the human capacity for sin, but also the human capacity for great goodness because we're made in God's image. It means that we're never surprised by people's mixed motives, but at the same time, we aren't just constantly cynical. Now, some of you are going to hear the call to innocence from these words. Some of you will hear the call to be more generous in your thoughts of others from these words. But some of you will hear the wake-up call from naivety to be aware of everyone's capacity for sin. But ultimately, these words, they call us to live just like Jesus did, where we understand the temptations of sin, where we understand the schemes of the devil, but don't live in them ourselves, which is a massive ask and one that we can only really begin to live out with the help of our Good Shepherd, which is our final section, the Good Shepherd, where we're going to just double back and look at that one verse that we already read, where it said, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. And just in wrapping up, we're going to look at three ways that this verse might help us all, encourage us all in everything that we've looked at. Firstly, that Jesus has compassion on us. Secondly, that Jesus gathers his sheep. And thirdly, that Jesus promises to always be with us. First up, <laughs> oh, it just started working when you pushed it. Uh, first up, that Jesus has compassion for us. Because this verse is the key verse for everything else, if Jesus wasn't compassionate for the lost sheep, if he wasn't a good shepherd, none of the rest of this would have happened. He wouldn't have sought out the lost sheep. He wouldn't have equipped his disciples to go and reach them. He wouldn't have promised to be by their side no matter what. It's because of his compassion that Jesus sees a need and he sends his disciples. And this compassion of Jesus, I think it can almost be too familiar to us that the God of all the earth looks at us, us lost sheep, and he feels compassion, that shouldn't be something that we ever take for granted. The eternal, holy, everlasting God, he looks at us with a tender heart. That's something that, that we should never forget and we should never stop being amazed by. Now here's a quote from a book that sums this up really well uh, by Dane Ortland. it's called Gentle and Lowly. Uh, the quote says, We cannot present a reason for Christ to finally close off his heart to his own sheep. No such reason exists. Every human friend has a limit. If we offend enough, if a relationship gets damaged enough, if we betray enough times, we are cast out. The walls go up. 
With Christ, our sins and weaknesses are the very resume, the very resume items that qualify us to approach him. That's the heart of Jesus. That's why he loves us. That's why we worship him, because of that heart. Secondly, Jesus gathers his sheep. When we hear that Jesus is our shepherd, it can be so easy to uh, kind of think about that individually. He loves me, he seeks me, he helps me, which is all true. But it's more true that he loves us, he seeks us, he draws us close to him together. Because all through the Old Testament, a picture of God's judgment was his people being scattered. But every picture of redemption or salvation in the Bible It's always of people gathered together under God's care. Which is what this passage is saying to us, that God's heart for his people to gather together under his care. That's what God's heart is. And what does that mean? That we're lost sheep brought together from from many different backgrounds with many different personalities and we're sometimes going to say dumb stuff to each other We're sometimes going to hurt each other. We're going to disappoint each other. But that's why we need to remember how we're brought together. Because in John's Gospel, another passage that's kind of riffing on Ezekiel 34, the Good Shepherd kind of ideas, Jesus says this, he says, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's ultimately the picture of Jesus being our shepherd. That's ultimately how God gathers us, lost sheep, through Jesus' death on the cross, him dying to take on the sin of all of his sheep. All of our sin, all of our proneness to wander, and that's how we can live together under him. Because our sin has been dealt with, because Jesus has loved us and forgiven us so much, we can love and forgive one another. And because he gives us his spirit, we can actually start to take steps forward in doing that. The good shepherd who was truly good, Jesus was righteous, he was sinless, but he died for us so that we could be brought back into the green pastures and quiet waters of God. The final point, Jesus promises to always be with us. Uh, Jesus knows that sometimes if we try to faithfully live for his kingdom, it's going to hurt some of our relationships. Sometimes um, our relationships might actually break down because of it. And I think that's why here and in the Great Commission, they both end with Jesus promising us that he's going to be with us forever. But it isn't just here. When we look throughout the Bible, that's consistently the answer to how we can face difficult things or painful things or things outside our control in this life. Uh, Two quick examples. Hebrews 13, and when it's talking about money, what's the answer to the pressures of money? Well, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Or in Philippians 4, when it's talking about the anxieties of life, how does God speak into that, to the anxieties of life? He says, it says, the Lord is near. These passages are saying to us, you have very good reasons to be afraid and tense and anxious and stressed, but you have better reasons not to be afraid.
Jesus is with us and he will stay with us. That's why we can have the confidence to face whatever comes at us, whatever challenges the call of the gospel might bring into our lives. That's the reason we can have confidence as weak little sheep to face these difficult things in life. Because Jesus is near to us, because of Jesus' compassion for us, he is with us and he will never leave our side no matter what. Let me just pray that for all of us now. Uh, Heavenly Father, you are the good shepherd and you have shepherded us all of our lives. You make us lie down in green pastures. You lead us beside quiet waters. Please quiet our anxious hearts tonight. Bring quiet, bring peace, bring hope, bring yourself. Even when we walk through the darkest valleys, we don't need to be afraid because you are close beside us. We ask that you would shine your light out from us, even from us weak and broken people, and help our hearts and our prayers to move towards the things that you care about. (coughs) Pardon me. And we thank you because of Jesus and his cross that we can know that your goodness and love will pursue us all the days of our lives and we will live with you forever. Amen.